All right, please remain standing as we read God's word together. From Romans 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring, will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible, possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authority are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, non-carousing and drunkenness, non-sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I have some news to share that I'm really excited about that has absolutely nothing to do with the passage that we just read. <laughs> At 1.19 this morning, I became This is the first of 100 pictures we're going to show you. <clears throat> so sit tight. I am that guy now. This is my daughter, Claire, my son-in-law, Andrew, and I am absolutely delighted to introduce you to Eleanor Ruth Kittredge. So, <clears throat> I'm a little tired, I'm a little caffeinated, <laughs> but we've got a good word to share this morning. And even as I think about Eleanor, I'm just really excited. <laughs> But I think about the next generation of followers of Jesus. I want you to think about that, wherever you are. Some of you are going to go see Jesus in the next few years, next 10 years. And you've left a legacy. You have. You've given to this church. And over time, we have equipped the next generation. And I'm super excited about the future, and I want to... Uh, I want to thank you for continuing to give financially. As I think about 
We got like 60-some kids going to camp, high school camp. That's just a good So pray for those kids. Pray for them. Pray for those leaders. We've got adults that have given up their entire week to go run around with a bunch of kids. That is no small sacrifice. And I am super proud of our ministry in that. And I'm super thankful that we're able to do that. That's a big, big investment of time and resources and everything. So pray, pray, pray for those kids. So, all right, I'm going to try to stay focused and give us a good word. So we need the Spirit's help today. So let's pray. Father, we come to you thankful that we can call you Father. That you love us, that you care about us, that you hear our prayers that through your spirit, we're reminded that we're your children. So we come to you with just overwhelming gratitude. And Father, I know that many come into this room today in joy, but some are mourning, some are hurting, some are in pain. We need your spirit to help us this morning. I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, and above all, they bring you glory and honor. Burn off whatever doesn't do that. Holy Spirit, we need you to be our teacher this morning. It is in Jesus' name, the name that is above all names, that we pray. Amen. So here's my question for you today. And the question that I believe the text raises for us. How do you live in society as a follower of Jesus? Anybody been challenged in the last year or so in that? How do you live a life of sincere, genuine, unhypocritical love in the public square? And how do you live that life when the authority, when the government, when the powers that be rub you the wrong way? How do you do that? Some of you this morning are rebels, and you don't like to be told what to do. Can I get an amen? Anybody there? I would invite you with the Spirit to examine that this morning. We're going to look at a difficult passage this morning, and we're going to do our best to try to understand it clearly. But I want you to understand something first. Even before we get into the the text, we need to understand context. We need to understand that the Bible is written in a way that it's for a particular time and it it's, has a particular situation, and we need to do some thinking around that this morning if we're going to be faithful. Because as we think about God's Word, God's Word has authority. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired, says Peter. So what that means is we need to understand the text. We need to sit under it, not over it. We need to sit under it and realize that the words themselves have authority. And we have the opportunity 
to use this and use this and use the Spirit to help us understand. Now, some of you today, you didn't like school. You don't really like to read all that much. I won't ask for hands, but I know some of you are out there. And you're like, oh my goodness, he's getting all academic. Just tell me when you get to the application. I would say this, hang in there with me for a minute. Because this matters. How you read the Bible really matters. So we're going to work through some context and then we'll get to, uh, get to how I believe God is leading us to respond today. But if you're one of those people that has a hard time understanding the Bible, I'm so glad that you're here. And this is what I want you to see. When we look at God's Word, it's not this mysterious black box. It's not magic to interpret it. People don't have superpowers. You don't have to have had a 13 or 1400 on the SAT to understand God's Word. All right, so we're going to walk through some things with context, and then we'll go. All right, are you ready? First of all, let's look at the audience of this particular time. I want you to think back for a minute. I want you to think back. So we have the Apostle Paul. Paul was a zealous Jew. Okay, so think about the context. So Paul was about before he came to Christ, before God said... Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But he was on this mission, this zealous mission. Paul was not a sit back and take it kind of guy. Paul's also a Roman citizen. And Paul is in the middle of this project of building a multi-ethnic church. No slave or free, no Greek or Scythian no male and female. It's a multi-ethnic project. And he's in the process of that. And he's writing this letter to Rome. And there's a, a tradition of rebellion in the air. If you go back to Jesus being crucified. Who do you want to set free? Barabbas. Who was Barabbas? Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He was a rebel. He was up there because he had killed some Romans. So there's revolt, there's rebellion in the air. There is this tradition, if you study history, that is there. So this is part of the context in which he is in. 70 AD, about 15 years or so after this letter was written, the Romans would say, we've had enough We've had enough. We're going to burn Jerusalem to the ground. We're going to destroy the whole temple. Okay, Pretty serious stuff here, but I want you to see. I want you to picture it, okay, for a minute. So Paul's writing to this audience, as we've talked about before. There's a mix of Jewish followers of Jesus and a mix of Gentile or non-Jewish followers. And how do these folks get along? Next week, we're going to get, dive more into that. And sometimes when we think about the divides in our own time, compared to what they had to deal with, <laughs> the gap is like this, probably compared to where we are today. We'll get into that in a little bit more detail next week. But I want you to see this context emerging. So there's drama, 
The Jews had been kicked out of Rome in 49 AD, a few years or so before this, by the Emperor Claudius. They're kind of, uh, they had associated this Christian movement with the Jews, and they were like, we've had enough. We've had enough. So Paul is trying to bring the folks together. As followers of Jesus, these are the beliefs that matter and unify you. This is how you live out the gospel in unity. So this is Paul's bigger project. I want you to see that this morning. Sometimes people look at these things about government and authority, and they just say, we're just going to look at these seven verses. I want to chat. Look at them in context. Look at the whole thing. Get the big picture. I can't say everything I need to say, and the clock's ticking, but I'm going to give you some important stuff, and I want you to go home and continue to read. Now let's look at this in the context of his argument within the letter. This is part of a larger section. If you've been with us, we're in like 20-some weeks of trying to understand the gospel. This is like the, the big enchilada of what it means to be saved and justified and glorified and sanctified and all the, all the ides and all the terminology is in here. And now Paul's saying, look, 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 this isn't just academic stuff. This is how you live it out. This is what it really looks like. I would even challenge you this morning, do you have a vision for that? Do you have a vision of being a follower of Jesus that points to him? Paul's saying the key is to live a Christ-centered life of love, a love that is sincere, genuine, in all spheres. In all spheres of your life. Even the ones that kind of bother you a little bit. Even in the everyday. Next Saturday, I'm going to be officiating the, the wedding of my son and future daughter-in-law. What a joy, what a month. But part of, the, part of the thing is, look, this stuff applies to marriage too. This stuff applies. Let's look at it within the context of the letter, within the bigger story of God's kingdom. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. So now go and make disciples. He said, Paul said earlier, you are an ambassador you are a citizen of two kingdoms. Your true citizenship is in heaven. You may be a Roman citizen. We may say you may be an American citizen. But our true citizenship is in heaven. So part of what the Bible is about, part of what the New Testament is about, is about is how do we live this thing out? How do we live out our dual citizenship? How do I retain my identity as a Christ follower in a world that may be opposed. What does that look like? Now there's one more context, and that's kind of what I'm going to call the baggage context. This passage about authority and about the government has been used and abused over time. It was used in Nazi Germany to justify some things. It was used by slave owners to do some things. There's all kinds of history with that. And I would challenge us to think about, sometimes we go to those extremes, but how do we look at God's Word and then look at it in the bigger picture and really try to understand it? It raises the question, how do you see your government through a biblical lens as a follower 
of Jesus. What is your attitude towards those in power and your actions that follow that are part of your discipleship? Buckle up. Now, what I want to suggest to us this morning that the context can be complicated. All the different situations, all the competing interests, all our political feelings that everybody brings into here, that can all be complicated. Let's just say that, right? If I said Republicans on the right, Democrats on the left, let's talk. Woo! <laughs> Greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> let's just say that out loud. We're not all going to agree on everything. We're not all going to agree. The The context can be complicated, but the commands are clear. Sometimes we oversimplify the context and overcomplicate the command. Let that sit on you for just a second. Let me say it again. We oversimplify the context and we overcomplicate the command. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to give you four always statements. I'm a nuanced kind of guy. To say always is a big step. But I want to give you four, and I think they're really important. They're going to be on the screen, and I believe they're going to challenge each one of us. Number one... Align your public and private life. Align your public and private life. You are always a disciple. You are called to be an ambassador for Christ. Let me take you back, take a little left in your Bible. Go to Romans 12, 9. We talked about this last week. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. We talked about genuine love. Does your public and private life look the same? Are you one way in church, one way in your quiet time, and one way I'm on metal on Facebook and social media and in the public square? Does that align? I love what Eugene Peterson says in his trans, kind of his paraphrase of Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says this, so here's what I want you to do. Just listen to the words. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So here's what Paul does. He's going to give us these commandments about obedience and following, being subjected to authority. We'll get there in just a second. And he talks about taxes. When I say paying taxes, what's the first thing that comes to mind? This is what Paul does. Look at his mindset. 
He says this in verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. I want you to consider that mindset. When I fill out my 1040, I'm not sure that that's where my mind goes. But everything points back to Jesus. Everything points back to love as a follower of Jesus. There's always a connection between the practical, the money, your true debt, your true responsibility to love one another. Part of this journey of following Jesus is to do what he would do, to have his attitude, have his mindset, that it just becomes a natural thing. A natural thing. That it's joyful. Even paying taxes can be an act of joy and a reminder, a pointer to love. So we've got to think about that one for a minute. Number two, we are always to recognize and respect the authority of the government as a subset of the authority of God. Romans 13, 1 through 2, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Let's talk about this statement of authority here. To be subject to, to sit under this system. Now, my friends, this text is almost 2,000 years old. Think of all the different political systems. Do you ever go back and watch, like, how, how many of you like old history movies? You like that different culture? Kind of during this pandemic, I'll just, just 30 second aside, I got sick of seeing, like, contemporary stuff, and it was like, I kind of want to go back to an earlier time. I want to look at that. I like some of those old war movies you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat, that kind of thing. But, but think about all the different systems of government over time. Which systems does, do these words apply to? All of them. Rome was not a representative democracy in any stretch. It's a rough time. Think about all the different systems that this applies to. Now, this subjection to authority, it's right, it's wise, and it's fair. First of all, it's right. The authority has been established by God. It is a subset. It is wise. Authority holds people accountable. The government is God's servant for the good to hold evil people accountable. Just think about that for a minute. Use your mind. Paul says it should also be fair. Verse 6, this is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's 
servants who give their full time to governing. Now, as, you, as we look at this to recognize and respect the authority of government as a subset of the authority of God, we're reminded of Jesus' words. We're reminded of this in Matthew 22. I just like looking at how Jesus handles hard things. If you're just getting started in your walk, a good thing to do is read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just pay attention to Jesus. Study him. Look at him. So the Pharisees, this group that, uh, of, of the Jewish rulers, they were trying to kind of trick Jesus, and they said, look, should we pay taxes? Should we pay this oppressive imperial tax? Jesus says, hey, give me a coin. Looks at that coin, says, whose picture is on that? Caesar. Says, well, render to, to Caesar what is Caesar's, and render to God or give to God what is God's. So there's this distinction. Governmental authority is a subset. It is not the ultimate authority. It's a subset. So get back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. The authority of government, while something we should recognize and respect, it is not ultimate. It is not the end-all, be-all. Now, let's go to number three. Three, evaluate your obedience in light of the gospel. So we have government, we have authority, and we have this question of, are there ever exceptions? Well, we want to look at Scripture. We want to evaluate. We want to weigh. Not just my own feelings. Not just whatever news channel I like. Not whatever podcast I really, that really resonates with me. Stay informed, read stuff. But what's your ultimate authority? What's your ultimate tool of evaluation? Evaluate your obedience in light of the gospel. Acts 5, 29, Peter and the other apostles, they are commanded by the authorities, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop it. We command you. What did they do? Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. That authority is a subset of the larger authority. There are times, go back to the Old Testament story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel where they're commanded, hey, bow down before this statue. It's what you should worship. It's what you should worship. So they, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the images of gold you have set up. We are, blind obedience is not a biblical idea. If the state commands what God forbids, if the state forbids what God commands, we have to evaluate that and respond 
appropriately. So let me challenge us this morning a little bit. You may not be asked to bow down before a statue, but you can consider lots of things as you think through this. But what is shaping your thinking? What is shaping the way you evaluate? Is it God's Word? Is it some source from the outside? Number four, take action that reflects the character of God. Take action that reflects the character of God. Verse 11, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I want to bookend this this morning with the character of God. The character of God. So we have number two about recognizing and respecting authority as a subset. We have this idea of evaluating in light of God's Word. But our individual character matters. So we align it. We take action that reflects the character of God. We are to live a life that reflects the character of Jesus. We are to clothe ourselves with him. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 17 says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, as we consider how do we take action that reflects the character of God. I want to take you back to history. I want to take you back to the early church. The early church, part of its reputation was how did it care for the poor? How did it care for the sick? How did it care for the down and out? If you know a little bit about the history of the early church and you think about the 300s, 4th century, Constantine had taken over and made Christianity the official religion and it had, had acquired a certain reputation for caring. Julian succeeded him and he was frustrated because he, was, he didn't want any part of Christianity. He was trying to take them back to their pagan ways. And as he looked out and he saw these followers of Christ, he was so struck by the way they cared for the sick and the poor and the down and out. And this is, what, this is what he said. He says, It is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans, the Christians, he couldn't stand them. But this is what he saw. 
They support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. Teach those of the Hellenic or the Greek faith to contribute to public service of this sort in the Hellenic villages to offer their first fruits to the gods and accustom those who love the Hellenic religion to these good works by teaching them that this was the practice of old. What I want you to see this morning, my friends, is the early church led the way in modeling the love of Christ. They modeled it. I think that's a real challenge for us today. What does that look like for us today? As we think of government, as we think of politics, there are any number of issues that are on your mind right now. But how do we clothe ourselves with Christ? How do we reach out? How do we lead the way in good works? What does that look like for us? Now, as you kind of absorb this, I want you to do this. First of all, I want you to to use your head for a minute. I want you to think. I want you to look at these steps. I want you to to think about, am I aligned? Is my public and private self aligned? Regardless of your political stripes, regardless of what you bring in, how might God be challenging you to think? Think about your attitude towards authority. Think about your attitude as where does that sit in God's authority? I want you to think. I want you to use your mind. But I also want you to look at your heart for a minute. When you think about all throughout history, all the followers of Jesus who have have suffered, have sat under that authority, have represented Christ well in those times. That's not a solo effort. We need the body of Christ. We need each other. We need the Spirit to guide us and to take action that's in love. We'll continue to think through this. We'll continue to flesh out where we might disagree in some coming weeks and and think through that. But there's an attitude, there's a character of Christ that we are called to put on. Some of you this morning, that might mean a a simple, not so simple, this journey from pride to humility. This journey that says, "I, I think I've got it all figured out. I think I've got all the answers. He said under God's word, and I need to think. Where there's confusion, I need some clarity. Some of you, we simply need the Spirit to guide us and remind us fundamentally who we are. Who we are. If God's for you, who can be against you? We've got the Spirit. We spent a lot of times a few weeks ago on Romans 8. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Don't forget who you are in Christ. Don't forget who you are representing. And then when it comes to action, um, sometimes we're just apathetic. We just say, that's not my issue. That's really hard. 
I'm not going to lean into it. I'm not going to stand up for what's right. I'm not going to work through channels respectfully to make this kingdom, this world look more like Christ's kingdom. So it's here, it's here, and it's here. And as we now prepare to go to the communion table, I want you to think about what what we're doing when we come together. When we come as a as a family, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as those who can call God Father. Part of why we come to the table and we, we celebrate and we receive communion, it's to remind us who we are. And as I think about the disciples and the agendas and their expectations that they had, Jesus always has a better, a different way. So we're reminded that Jesus gathered his disciples in the upper room and he took out the bread. And after breaking it, he gave thanks and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take ye, do this in remembrance of me. So may we receive the bread together. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood. This is the blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, the blood of the new covenant. Take, drink, do this in remembrance of me. So may we receive the cup together. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you and we recognize that your authority is ultimate. We come before you and our desire is to place our whole life before you, our public and our private selves. As we reflect on what you've done for us, we ask for your forgiveness when our love has not been genuine, when we have not represented you well. We need you, Holy Spirit, to align our hearts and our minds to your perfect character so that we ask that you replace our pride with humility, our rebellion with obedience, our confusion with clarity, and our apathy with compassion. Show us how to understand this present time through the lens of your gospel and do the next right thing. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.